Well, if you have your Bible, open up that passage for me. We're going to be in the book of Daniel. We'll be in the book of Daniel, chapter 2. We'll read verse 1 all the way down through verse uh, 18 this morning as we jump into God's Word together. Uh, if you have your Bible at home, go ahead and turn there with me. Get something to write down on. Today's a good day for that. Um, one day, we'll introduce everybody to what a pen and pencil and those things are again. But for now, just use what you can got and what you can grab. Um, as we're walking through the book of Daniel, we're really taking a, an incredible look at what God has, has invited us into as a part of his story. A lot of times we think of Daniel as Daniel's story. And the reality is that the book of Daniel is not, uh, it's not Daniel's story. It's the story of God as revealed in the life and testimony of Daniel. And those are two very different things because the Lord is the one who's doing the revealing. I was reading uh, this week in some of my quiet time and, and this um, a pastor um, wrote this passage out. His last name is Tozer, A.W. Tozer. He said this. He said, you do not have understanding in order to believe. God doesn't give us understanding in order to believe. In believing, he gives understanding. He reveals it to us, right? We don't, we don't learn about God and then a light bulb comes on and so we we understand how God works therefore we're able to believe when we believe he brings understanding and that's what Daniel's story is about is how God brought understanding to his people through the life of Daniel now I don't know about you but understanding sometimes has to do with perspective it's amazing how God can teach us one thing today and use the same passage another time to teach us something completely different um, we grew up for about five years of our life in Panama City, Florida. Um, back long time ago, 30 plus years ago, we were in Panama City when Panama City was the, the main hotspot and Destin was just beach. There wasn't anything in Destin back then. There was a little island called Shell Island right off the coast. It was just, just maybe bigger than a sandbar. And we used to love storms as a kid, right? I don't know about you if storms are now, but growing up, in Panama City, we loved the storms as a kid because when a really big storm came in, we knew that we could go out the next day and we would find some of the most incredible shells and some of the most incredible starfish. I mean, it's just amazing what would wash up whole sand dollars, not the fake kind, like the real whole sand dollars. They would all just wash up. And so we would go and see what the storm uncovered. Now, as an adult now, I know our parents were experiencing something very different because when you live that close to the shore and a big storm comes in, you're not thinking, oh, this is great. I'm, I can't wait for this storm to come in and just hammer the stew out of our house and yard and everything in it. Because when a storm comes through now, it messes thing up, things up. Every pine tree that has a cone on it, you know what a storm does? It shakes its hand and they all fall into your yard. And here's what I didn't know as a kid. They don't magically pick themselves up. Isn't that funny? When, when a storm busts a window or when a storm messes something up, it's work. And I think a lot of times as, as adults, we, we think of the storms as, oh my goodness, it's going to uncover something. It's going to break something. It's going to reveal a flaw that I'm hoping or trying not to reveal or I'm hoping that there's no flaws to be revealed. But as a child... We're thinking, bring it on, because I want to go get some seashells. I want to see what's uncovered, right? Storms have a way of doing that. Well, in our life, just like in the life of Daniel, it's the same thing spiritually. 
In, in Nebuchadnezzar's life, in chapter 2, the Bible says the Lord gives him a dream. It says, in the second year of his reign, he had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. How do you think he had those dreams? The Lord gave them to them. The, the book of Daniel is not about how Daniel is so great at interpreting dreams. It's about how awesome the Lord is when he uses what he desires for his glory. And so the Bible says that, that the Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar this disturbance. He brought the storm in. Now I want you to know something about what's going on in our world today. The Lord didn't take a nap and, and turn around and wake up and go, oh shoot, COVID. Right? Sorry, I missed you guys on that one. He, he wasn't surprised or startled by what was going on. So if that's not the case, if God who is all-knowing, who's never been taught, never learned, who's always known, he, if he knows everything, then the suffering or even the storm that's going on in our culture, in our life, it's not outside of his knowledge, his realm, or his control. The struggles that your, your life is, finances, marriages, he's not caught off guard. Just like he allowed the trouble to rise up, or in this case, he gave the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, he allows us to endure storms as well, and therefore a purpose. And that's what we're going to look at today is, what's the purpose of storms that God invites, allows, or produces in our life? Let's take a look at verses 5 through 9 here. Verse, we start through 2, excuse me, verse 2. Then the king commanded that the magicians and enchanters and sorcerers and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dream. So they came and stood before the king. And he said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. And then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. And the king answered, said to them, I will not. The word for me is firm. If you don't make known me to me the dream and its interpretation, you'll be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Have you ever noticed that when someone who has uh, power over your life is having a bad day, suddenly their bad day is your, your bad day, right? Men, have you ever noticed that at home, right? Ladies, when your husband comes home from work and it's been a rough time, have you ever noticed that? Well, Nebuchadnezzar makes sure that his bad day is shared and probably so that they can all have a good day coming up. So Nebuchadnezzar goes after it, and he does something pretty amazing in these verses. He tries to use what we would call earthly treasure. He tries to use earthly treasure to buy spiritual peace. This is what he tries to do. You see, he's had a, a bad vision. He is, has uneasiness in his spirit. The Bible says he cannot sleep. His spirit is troubled. He can't let it go. And in this process, Nebuchadnezzar says, I need to figure a way so that I can have peace again. He uses every earthly resource he can. The first earthly resource, verse 2, it says he commanded his wise men to come to him. He tried to use his position to bring spiritual peace. He tried to use his position to bring spiritual peace in his life. He knew that he had the authority of the kingdom underneath him. And he couldn't figure out this problem on his own, so he used his best resource. I'm the king. You have to do what I say. 
That'll work. If I am the king and tell everybody this is what I want, I always get it. Want to ransack a village? I get it. Want gold? I get it. Whatever I need, it comes to me. So he uses his position, his earthly treasure, to buy peace. The problem is he called everybody and they said, well, what do you want us to do? Read verse 3 through 5. He says, well, when they all came together, he says, I have a dream and I'm troubled. And they say, tell us the dream. And he says, no, I won't, I won't tell you the dream. If you don't make it known to me, if it's in, the dream and its interpretation, you'll be torn limb from limb. What does he say? He says, if my position won't work, then my power will then my, my power will enable that to work. I may not be in the position that that may not be enough, but I will threaten you. I, I will use every resource that I have to make you conform to give me peace. Have you ever tried that before? Have you, have you ever tried to will something into being? It doesn't work. Why? Because earthly treasure, power. It can't do it. No matter, no matter who the highest um, thinker is, no matter who the highest doctor is, no matter what the highest position in the land is, no matter what threats come at, these men can't provide what's being asked for because the king needs spiritual peace. So he says, okay, well, if position doesn't work, if power doesn't work, verse 6, he says, but if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you'll receive from me gifts and reward and great honors. So show me the dream. He says, if position won't work, if power won't work, how about prizes? How about I give you prizes? You see, he's using everything that he can to bring spiritual peace into his life. If that means tempting you with something sweet, it's tempting you with something sweet. If that means threatening you and bullying, then that's going to be threatening. If that means position, you should respect me for who I am, he's going to use it. Whatever it is, all together, he's saying, here's my resources, and here's what's amazing. This is not new. It's not new, is it? I mean, our world's been looking for spiritual peace since Adam took the first bite of the apple. Why did Adam take a, a bite of the apple? Because he wanted to discover if there was a greater peace, right? Contrary to popular demand, he didn't just want Eve not to be alone by herself, right? Oh, she sinned, I'll be the good guy. Sorry, God, you understand. That's not how it worked. Adam wanted to provide for himself, so he bit the apple. Nimrod built the city of Babylon, right? The Tower of Babylon coming together. Why did he do that? so that he could provide a semblance by his power and position of peace. If we have a kingdom, then we'll be safe. Abraham, remember when he and Sarah went into the foreign king's land? Hey, Sarah, let's use our cunning. Tell them you're my sister and not my wife. That way I'll have peace. Do you think he had peace? How about when she came back to him later on? Did he have peace? No. Abraham tried peace. Judah tried to pay off the Egyptians to have safety from the other kingdom. Balaam was propositioned to curse. In Judges, nations tried to find peace by doing what was right in their own eyes. And the Pharisees thought the law was the way to organize peace. You see, for you and I, all throughout Scripture, we have the same issue. We're trying earthly schemes 
to find spiritual peace. Racism, it will not be cured without spiritual peace exuding the life of believers. How about, how about poverty? Paul says, listen, through Christ, I found the secret of being content in any situation. If I'm rich or if I'm poor, I have spiritual peace who Christ who strengthens me. I have all that I need. You see, how about, how about in pandemics? How can we have peace and not live like, like we're an idiot boasting in self? Nor how do we not live in fear by, by not knowing what to do? Just waiting on someone to offer the answer. What do we do? The same answer here. You and I cannot buy spiritual peace through a doctor's prognosis, through a, through a preacher's perspective. We can't find spiritual peace through the work of our hands, through the money in our wallet, or the depth of our voice. Our church this morning, if the Lord has given you a lack of peace, your attempt and my attempt, our creativity to solve the Lord's puzzle is an affront and will only give us the brunt of the storm. It leads to emptiness because we can't have earthly treasure take care of spiritual peace. This morning, have you been reading every book on marriage possible except the Bible to have spiritual peace? Have you been this? We were talking about this as Get Ashley's going off to school this week. Are we giving her every English, math, and science book that we can, but putting zero emphasis on her relationship with the Lord or in the Word? You see, you and I, by man's plans, won't stand. Nebuchadnezzar didn't, and we won't either. I saw a Facebook post. It was, it was a gentleman talking and talking from, from a church perspective. And he said, wake up, church. We're about to lose it all. And he was talking about the election. Hey, note to self. No matter who sits in the White House, if his face doesn't bow before Jesus and his actions or her actions lead through that, there is no hope. Because earthly treasure cannot buy spiritual peace whether they want a donkey, an elephant a green, it doesn't matter because spiritual peace can't be fixed by earthliness now look a little bit further what the Bible says in verse 9, we'll go down just a little bit here it says that they started the people said we don't know what to do, this is a tough thing he says, if you don't make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you, because you have been agreed to speak lying, corrupt words before me until the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can show me its interpretations. And the Chaldeans answered the king and said this, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or any enchanter or any Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. You see, here's the problem. 
When a storm comes through, the suffering comes through, and it came through the king, right? And it wasn't a hurricane. What does it do? It uncovers the false bottom. It confirms the bottom, or, or I might even say the shallow bottom of false faith. It covers this shallow bottom of false faith. We got to spend the week, the last kind of getaway with Ashley and Connor before school started and uh, tried to get up into somewhere a little bit cooler. And we went inside a a cave in uh, Ruby Falls in Chattanooga. And along the cave made by water, there are pools of water. And I'm talking to the guide and and the young lady said this. She said, those pools that you pass by? And we're like, yeah, those are amazing, crystal clear water. How deep are they? How big are they? She said, well, they're, they're about an inch deep. They're very shallow. She said, but they don't look that way because the water is so clear, the objects on the bottom, you don't know what depth they are from you. So everyone thinks they're really deep pools, but they're just an inch deep. You see, when, when a storm comes through and it blows that water around and it muddies the water, you realize, oh, this water's not deep at all. But as long as it's clear, as long as there's no suffering, a false faith can look fantastic. It can look really good. Isn't that true of our life, Christian? When everything's hunky-dory, when we can just say what we want to, when we can just use Scripture how we want to, when we can just take a little bit here and a little bit there, when we can say, Jesus loves me and so I'm blessed, and what blessed really means is I'm having a profitable month in my business— we can, we can spout religion that sounds and seems clear. It seems authentic. But when suffering comes through, when a challenge comes through, we find out that suffering uncovers the shallow bottom of false faith. It did for the Chaldeans. What does the king say? He says, here's the deal. I'm tired of you guys tricking me. I love it. He says, you're faking me out. He says, I know with certainty you want to gain time because you know I'm serious. You've agreed to speak lying and corrupt words to me all the times. He says, for all your boasting, for all your platforms, for all your pens, for all your letters, for all your degrees, for all the initials after your name, everything you've got, you don't have the answer. And if you don't have this answer then maybe you didn't have any answer. And maybe that's the problem. You see, he realized, and they probably thought it was mad. How could you ask us to do such a thing? How could you, the magicians, enchanters, the sorcerers, the the wise men, how could you ask us to do something? What they're saying is, we confess. We can't provide spiritual peace because we can only work with what we've got and there's no tool in our belt to give you peace church this morning the same is true for us if our faith can't be wrapped together with other believers if our faith can't take the word of god and make it into the world that needs the word even when it's challenged if it's so shallow then let this storm uncover the truth that says I need to lean into Jesus because I don't have it all together. The truth that says in my own understanding, I am shallow and he is not. Church, as we look at God's word, are we willing to be honest instead of always having an answer? You see, the men here were honesty-ish. 
They said, we're not lacking, it's just impossible. We're not lacking, it's just impossible. Only the gods would know that. Well, that's not quite 100% right. There's only one God. But it sounds a whole lot like the confession of John in John chapter 11 of Caiaphas, the high priest, when he says it's better for one to die than a whole nation be destroyed. He's prophesying and he doesn't even know it. it it's better for, for Gamaliel in the book of Acts who tells everyone, listen, if you're setting yourself up against the disciples, if what they say is from God, we can't stop it. But if what they say is not from God, then we don't have to worry about it because he'll take care of it. He, Caiaphas there's, didn't convert. Gamaliel didn't accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's almost like there was enough truth to have something there to look authentic, to look real, but not enough to provide peace eternally. Why? Because suffering exposes the shallow bottom of our faith. It exposes those places that we have not given to the Lord let me ask you a question in this season. And this, this season just sets it up more than others, right? Here's the question. Are you hanging on every word of a certain doctor, of a certain newscaster? Are you, are you waiting, can't wait to read the latest article of the CDC or the latest press conference of the president? Are you, are you holding on every word of the superintendent? Are you, are you hoping and praying for revelation from our local leaders more than you are holding and waiting on every word that comes out of the mouth of the Almighty God? If our hearts leap for information from men and anticipates it with joy, but has a quietness about the word of God, then let this suffering blow that dirt into your water so that we can confess with these men, Lord, man's wisdom will never provide what I'm looking for because understanding comes through you. You see, after it's exposed, the king gets angry. After this confession happened, he's now beyond troublesome. This is what he says in verse 12 through 17. It says, Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were to be about to be killed. So they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. And the, Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. We'll go back to that. To Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise man of Babylon. And he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made known the matter to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation of the king. In verse 17, and then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek the mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions may not be destroyed along with the rest of the wise men. You see, let me tell you what suffering does for you and I as we walk with Christ. It may uncover the false bottom of others' faith, but for you and I, it produces opportunities for a godly witness to be displayed. It produces an opportunity for godliness to show up. And I, was, I was listening to uh, the sportscaster on a trip this week on ESPN, and we were talking about the Astro season. It's not going as good as we'd want it to go right now. 
But in the Astro season, just talking about who are the stories that you used to pretend you were playing at the kid. When you were at the bait, the bases were loaded. You were down by three, two outs on the board, two strikes, one swing, and you have to hit a home run in order to make everything better. It's that last minute, wow. See, the same way in our spirit, what suffering does and what brings the pressure on the world so that the Christians, so that you and I who walk in Christ in spirit and truth can rise to the surface so that his witness and his name can be lifted up. It's like that little song we used to teach our kids. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. It's not, I'm going to let it shine when this day is sunny. This little light of mine shines in the darkness. This little light of mine shines in the storm. This little light of mine guides the boats to safe harbor. The light that we have is Christ, and it shows through our Christian witness. I want you to look what Daniel says here, what it uncovers. First of all, they have to go looking for Daniel. You see, we, we think about this. Daniel is in a position of power. He's got prizes, not as much as the king, but he is the highest of the height. He's got everything he needs. He could have been hanging out at the swanky Babylon places. He could have been dropping names left and right. He could have been using all of that to get in. You know, undercover Christian. Like, I'm sneaking in. I'm going to act like the world so I can tell them about Jesus. A little bit of a misinterpretation of what Paul would say when I'm all things to all people that some might be saved. He could have used that to sneak in. But in the middle of this, in the midst of this, they have to go looking for Daniel. Why? Because Daniel is living a life that is obviously dependent on someone other than him. He isn't trying to be somebody. He's allowing the Lord to reveal himself and not him. Church, this morning, what would happen if we allowed the Lord to reveal himself through us instead of us having an opinion on everything? What would it look like to, to struggle through or suffer through the struggles of marriage with the Lord's direction instead of our own opinion? I was thinking about that. You know, dads start to do this as college comes up. I wish for both of my children that they would have a marriage in which they never had a fight, never had arguments that were always great. I know it's impossible. We know it's not happening. But, but in asking that, am I depriving my children of wanting for them to see faith rise up that's proven in struggles and suffering? In our faith, don't try and abandon the sufferings. Lean into the Lord versus looking to yourself. That's what Daniel did. But look how he did it. First of all, it says that he responded with prudence and discretion. Church, I want you to know our witness is displayed to the world, first of all, in a way that honors God. Daniel's consistent witness. It's uncovered that the, the devil's not getting under his skin. He's not anxious. He's not frustrated. What is he showing? That the worldly suffering, even the pain and the threat produced by the king, the whole government going to pot. Don't forget, Daniel is a slave in a foreign kingdom. And what's he fighting for? How is he responding? With prudence and respect. Why? 
Because no matter what comes his way, he has a spiritual peace which cannot be taken by earthly threats. What would happen if we, the church, responded that way? What if our witness was so consistent that then when the world brought threats, that our witness wouldn't show a lack of peace, wouldn't show a fear, but it would show security, certainty, and safety because of the one with whom it resides. You see, suffering gives a chance for the witness to be revealed to the world. How are you calm? How are you at peace? How are you not angry all the time? Well, let me tell you about the one who gives me spiritual peace. The second thing he does is he has a chance to witness to others. What does he do? He goes and finds Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And he says, guys, would you join me for prayer? Would you join me for prayer so that we might seek the God of mercy? Church, this morning, I know you and I in our witness have an opportunity to show the grace of God to the world. But do you realize we have a chance to show the grace of God to one another? Have you been inviting people in to your struggles and your suffering? Or have you been going it alone? Because you don't want them to see the shallow areas of your life. Daniel says, guys, this is bigger than me. I am not God's boss that he comes and goes as I call him. I'm asking you to join me to ask the Lord to have mercy. Have you asked the Lord to have mercy on your heart? To have mercy on your fears? To have mercy on the threats that are coming after you? Have you asked the Lord to have mercy about your marriage, about your children? What scripture says is let this suffering, let the witness of God rise up to the surface so that the world can see where peace is found and so that you and I can encourage our brothers and sisters to trust God, to seek him for a peace that we can't create on our own. Church, this is how we get strong, by believing that the God of mercy who loves his children will have mercy on us. And this morning, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are at home. I don't know what fears. I don't know what peace you're struggling with. I don't know what magazines lie on the table or the last five pages in the history of your, of your website thread is. But I do know this, that the only time you and I will find spiritual peace is by looking into the face of Jesus Christ is by finding ourselves in the middle of his will, in the middle of his hands. And you and I don't need to be there alone. You weren't made for this. That was on purpose, by design. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you for the gift of suffering that you've shared with us. Lord, as we come to you today, Lord, there are men and women who don't know you. 
who want peace and they have tried everything and can't find it. Lord, today, would you show them that peace only exists in your hands? Father God, for your church, would you allow us to, to let your witness rise? Let your name be exalted and elevated. Don't, don't let our peace be, be threatened, Lord. We don't need to, to shut the hurricane shutters on our life because we're afraid. Because the world can't challenge the spiritual peace that you give. So, Lord, as Daniel did, let us be wise. Let us be respectful. Lord, let us obey the law and the, the, the rules of the land so that you might show the world where peace comes from. Lord Jesus, there are brothers and sisters in this room and that are isolated at home. Lord, they, they have been seeking peace and haven't found it. But their shame has kept them from reaching out to, to others to seek the mercy of the great God on high. Lord, this morning, would you stir in their hearts? Would you stir in their lives? Jesus, we confess that you are Lord, that you are Savior. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Church, this morning, as the lights dim and as we continue to sing, I want to encourage you to respond to the Lord. Would you stand with us? And let's respond to God. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine.